Turn your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 7 this morning. We're going to begin here shortly in verse 18. Um, This morning, our focus in Scripture shifts to John the Baptist, and next week we'll uh, pick up as Jesus makes a statement concerning John the Baptist. Uh, If you want to know, this passage can also be found in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and the two accounts and Matthew and Luke are almost identical with one minor detail that Matthew informs us of John's location. We don't get that in Luke, but we'll bring that out as we go through this. Our focus this morning is called defeating doubts. <clears throat> we all have to deal with doubts at times in life. We're all going to wrestle with doubts. And you find doubt as a feeling of uncertainty, as having a lack of conviction, Sometimes we can doubt whether we're doing the right thing. We can doubt whether we're in the right type of relationship. We can doubt whether we've actually heard God leading us, or maybe we're, we're doing this on our own and we're not following His direction. There's times we all will probably doubt our ability. We can doubt our knowledge. We can doubt the talent we have and our understanding of certain situations. We may even be tempted at times to doubt God's Word and what God is instructing us through that Word and that if we actually have to do that. Today, we're going to see that John the Baptist is dealing with doubts, and we can learn a lesson on how Jesus deals with John's doubts and apply it into our life. So let's begin in verse 18 of Luke chapter 7, and the word of the Lord says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And the men had come to him, being Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. Verse 22, And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the Amen. You are the everlasting God. And Father, we come into your presence wanting to surrender our hearts and our minds and our wills to yours. That your word would guide and lead us, Lord. Your word says that you hem us in behind before, as we just sang in that song, Lord, you're all around us. You are our refuge, our strong tower, our mighty warrior. You are our shepherd. You are our savior, our advocate, our intercessor. So, Father, we come before you right now, and we just ask you to do what only you can do in our life. You know the things that need to be altered and things that need to be changed you know the the things we need in our life to stop we need to stop listening to because they're the lies and deceptions of the enemy so father let your truth pour over us let your spirit engulf this place father give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that is willing to follow your lead thank you so much for this day thank you so much for allowing us to be in your presence we we come into the promise Where two or more are gathered in your name, you are in their midst. And so we thank you for this incredible honor to be in your midst. And by the word of God that you've given us, that we are able to come into your throne room of grace to receive mercy and more grace. Father, I ask you just to give me the words that need to be said this morning. 
Father, don't let me get in your way and what needs to happen here. So teach us, correct us, rebuke us, train us for righteousness so we are equipped for every good work that you have set aside for us to do. Above all else, I pray, Lord, that you alone be glorified. We pray your kingdom and your will would come as we go through your word and your spirit would guide and lead us and give us an understanding we have yet to have. We pray this on the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This event sets up by telling us that John receives a report from his disciples concerning Jesus. There in verse 18, the, all, they reported all things to him, is most likely referring to everything we've looked at in the last couple of weeks in Luke chapter 7 with the healing of the centurion servant and also the raising of the widow's son. But it also could be pointing to what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6, which is Luke's kind of paraphrasing of the Sermon on the Mount that we looked at in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. It could possibly imply other teachings. What we do know is that for some reason, well, I'll tell you why, but John's disciples have begun to follow Jesus. They began to hang out with him. They began to see the miracles. They began to hear the teachings. We know, in fact, 12 of the apostles were originally two disciples of John being John the Apostle and Andrew. And so they go to John. And they report to John everything that has been happening with Jesus. And so John decides to take action himself in verse 19 where he calls two of his own disciples to go find Jesus and present a question to Jesus. And so we might ask, well, why didn't John go do it himself? Was he lazy? Well, according to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew tells us that John heard the report while he was in prison It reads, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ. And so it may look like a huge oversight here in Luke. Why didn't Luke mention that? Well, Luke's already taken care of John's situation and circumstance in Luke chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, where he already told us that John was in prison. So he doesn't need to repeat it here. But the understanding of John's situation helps us understand the reason he asks the question he asks. If we use the other Gospels in Mark chapter 6, verses 17 through 19... We're told that King Herod had John arrested because John called out his adulterous marriage to Herodias. Herodias used to be Herod's brother Philip's wife. I'll get that out. Philip was not dead. Herod simply took Herodias as his own. And so John bluntly called them out through the word of God in Mark 6, 18. He says, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, which it wasn't. But it was that statement which caused John to be arrested. And Herodias, we're told in Scripture, that Herodias wanted John to be executed, which eventually she did. We're also told in Scripture, in in the Gospel of Matthew, that even Herod wanted to kill John, but he wouldn't because we're told he feared the people because they believed or held him to be a prophet. In other words, Herod was a politician. He feared man more than God. And being in Herod's prison was not a luxurious life. Even though both Herod and Herodias wanted to have John killed, at the same time in Mark 6, we're told that Herod actually liked to hear the things that John would have to say. And so he would bring John into his court and let John preach, and Herod enjoyed it. And that is a very, very dangerous place to be. Where you hear the Word of God, you enjoy the Word of God, but it has no impact on your heart. Well, John went from being a prophet in the wilderness to now he is a court jester in Herod's court. So no doubt John's circumstances led him to doubt Jesus' identity. 
After all, John's proclamation was that Jesus was going to bring judgment on the children of Israel, but the news he was receiving from the disciples that came, and the report was, people are finding mercy, people are finding healing, people are finding grace. With the predicament of being in prison and news of what, John was, or what Jesus was doing, John is probably wrestling, did I get it right? Did I actually proclaim the right person, the right person to be the Messiah? So he sends two of his disciples to go find Jesus with his question. And what we learn in this is even the most devout will have doubts. John's ministry was to prepare the way for the Messiah, which he did. He was commissioned by God to leave the priesthood. His father, Zacharias, was a priest. And John was in the line to take his father's position when he got older. He was a part of that, that tribe. But instead of becoming a priest, John just commissioned by God to become a prophet, which hadn't, been, hadn't appeared for over 400 years, to go to the wilderness by the banks of the Jordan River and to preach and prepare the way for the Messiah. As John was doing that after he baptized Jesus, sometime Herod and Rhodus came along, and so John called him out, and they put him in prison. And I think we'd all be wrestling, just as John is wrestling in this moment, did God really tell me to do this? Did I get it wrong? Did I misunderstand what God was saying to me? John's question in verse 19, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another reveals his doubts? He's basically wanting Jesus to tell him, did I did it wrong? When asking if Jesus is the one in verse 19, John is wanting to know if Jesus is in fact the long-awaited Messiah. That's what that means. Are you the expected one? Are you the Messiah the prophecies and scriptures have spoken of? Are you the one that I pointed to? Are you the one we've been expecting? Or should we start looking for someone else to show up? She started looking for someone else to fulfill the role that, Jesus, I was so convinced you were the one to fulfill it. Now, here's the thing that should amaze us about this situation. And we just think about what has John experienced with Jesus? Well, in the Gospel of John, that's from the Apostle John, not the Baptist here. John's testimony of Jesus concerning his baptism was that he saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. And John heard the voice of God tell him when he would see this, that the one who came would baptize with the Holy Spirit, and he would know for certain that Jesus was the Son of God. And if we turn to the Gospel of Matthew at the same baptism site, it's recorded that John heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. John had all this evidence. He had all these incredible experiences, things I think we would covet to hear the voice of God audibly from heaven, to see the Spirit of God descend from heaven upon an individual. And yet here in Luke chapter 7, we find him doubting. It goes to show we can have the greatest mountaintop experiences we've ever had with God. We can be doing all the things that God has called us to do. We can be remaining faithful and pointing people to God, but we are still going to wrestle with doubts. Do you notice in our passage, though, Jesus doesn't rebuke John? He doesn't rebuke John for bringing such a question. As a matter of fact, just later on, which we'll look at more next week, Jesus is going to say this concerning John in verse 28 of chapter 7. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Here's a little sub-point. If you ever come across a believer who think their child is the greatest, take them to Luke chapter 7, verse 28, and say they can't be the greatest. 
Jesus already gave that title. Your kid may be great, they may be greater than others, but they cannot be the greatest. Well, John's actions reveal that though we may wrestle with doubts and concerning our faith, we can't let our doubts disqualify us, but we have to let our doubts drive us to truth. John sends two of his disciples. The reason he sends two is because according to Jewish law, something could only be verified by at least two witnesses. Deuteronomy chapter 19 verse 15 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only with the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So what is John's charge? His charge is, Jesus, are you legit? Are you the real thing? Are you who I thought you were and who I proclaimed you to be? John is wrestling with everything that he knew and what he has placed his faith in. But instead of allowing his doubts to defeat him, he sends his convoy of two to find the answer, find the truth. And that's the thing with doubts. When we're wrestling with doubts, we can get stuck there. We can allow Satan just to play with our mind and we we become trapped and we get confused and we begin to worry and we get anxious and we get overwhelmed. The lesson we learn here, when doubts come, seek truth. The only way John was going to get out of this mental state is by seeking truth, and the truth, who is Jesus Christ. Now, we also know that John is in prison in Macarius. It was in the southern border of Perea, which was a kind of like a county that was near the Dead Sea. It was a long way off from Jesus. As far as we know, Jesus at this point is still in the region of Galilee when the disciples find him. So the disciples probably had like a two- to four-day journey to find Jesus, Ask the question, and then a two- to four-day journey back to John in prison. You know what John was going to have to do in that time? Wait. And isn't that the hardest thing to do when we're wrestling with doubts? To wait. To wait for an answer. To wait for something to be revealed. John's in his prison cell. When he's not in his prison cell, he's before Herod entertaining him. John had to do what we all have to do when we wrestle with doubts. We have to wait for the truth to reveal itself. We have to wait for God to speak through his word. When John's disciples finally find Jesus, and they deliver John's question, the simplest thing Jesus could have done was, well, yeah, go back and tell John I'm the one. You don't need to start looking anymore. But what does Jesus do instead? Look there in verse 21. In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And then he gives the answer in verse 22. And what Jesus does is he is pointing the disciples to point John back to truth through God's word. Jesus' answer is not, yes, I am the one. You don't have to look anymore. He answered them by saying this in verse 22. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to him. Jesus is not all of a sudden, when they bring the question, he said, oh, I better put on a show. I better do something. He's making a very specific point through these miracles. It is all pointing to the prophecies concerning him being the expected one, the Messiah. So the blind receiving their sight are mentioned in Isaiah 29, 19, and 35, 5. Ethan, you know, throw that up there. The lame walking 
It's spoken of Isaiah 35, 6. The lepers being cleansed points to Elisha's healing of the Gentile king of Syria and Naaman in 2 Kings 5. The deaf hearing points to Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah 35, 5, and 42, 18. The dead being raised to life points to 20, Isaiah 26, 19. And the prophet Elijah raising the widow's son in 1 Kings 17. The poor having good news preached to them points to Isaiah 29, 19 and Isaiah 61, 1. And as a matter of point, Isaiah 61, 1 is a very first passage Jesus read in the synagogue at Nazareth, pointing to him as Messiah. So what Jesus is doing, instead of just saying, yes, I'm the one, don't look anymore, he's pointing to the miracles. He's pointing to the situations and saying, look, only the Messiah could do these things because that's what God spoke. And so you see me doing it. Here is the evidence. I am the expected one. I am the long-awaited Messiah. And it teaches us a very valuable lesson when it comes to battling doubts and defeating doubts. When in doubt, look to the evidence. Whatever reason we face doubts, whatever circumstances that raises doubts in our minds, we not pause on the doubt. We look to the evidence. We look to the truth. I've shared this before, and some of you all may have heard it numerous times. There was a time in life 10 plus years ago that I was doubting whether to remain in the ministry. And I won't go through the details. We went through a rough time with a church. And so in the midst of those doubts, I, I sat after, sought after God. I, I got into his word. I was reading it like for hours on end. Abby was little, and so I would throw her in a, a stroller, and we would go out and do like little worship walks, and we would sing, and we would point out all of God's creation. I spent time in prayer and I'll be honest, it, it wasn't an easy time because I was doubting God's call in my life. I was doubting what the future would hold. I was doubting how am I going to provide for my family. I was doubting what am I even going to do with my life if it's not the ministry, where am I even supposed to go? And the answer did not come like, oh, you started doubting, you started seeking, you started praying, and then you got the answer the next day. It was over three months of just doubting and wrestling with that and seeking after God and praying and worshiping God and turning my heart and my mind to God and saying, okay, I can only look to you because I can't answer this question. And after the wrestling, after the doubting, I got the answer. And it was clear as day. We were out walking. And it's like I heard the voice of God speak directly to my heart. And he said, Michael, that's the way he talks to me. I called you into this ministry. And until I call you out, this is where you're supposed to be. And he reminded me, it's never, I was never promised it was going to be easy. I was never promised it wasn't going to be heartache. I was never promised there wasn't going to be confusion I was never promised I wouldn't be attacked by the enemy. But he promised me that that is where I'm supposed to be and he would be with me in it. I know many of us have had doubts and sometimes we have doubts with the faith. Sometimes we have doubts with the word of God. I say in the midst of those doubts, look to the evidence. And part of the evidence is sitting in this room right now forming the church. Ever since Christianity began, the world's authorities have tried to silence it, and yet it has continued to spread. People are continuing to be saved. There are places where churches are beginning where it is actually illegal to gather as believers, and yet God is still there. 
But because doubts can overwhelm us, what we have to do is we have to pause. We have to get alone with God. We have to remember the experience we've had with God. Remember things that we've heard God speak to us through his word. We have to remember that God has been faithful time and time again. See, having the doubts isn't the problem. It's surrendering to them and falling into defeat. Just look through Scripture. Look at these pillars of the faith. Abraham had doubts. Moses had doubts. King David, a man after God's own heart, had doubts. The prophets of the Old Testament had doubts. Joseph and Mary, Jesus' earthly parents, guess what? Had doubts. The apostles of Jesus had doubts. Paul, who took the Christianity to the known world, and we have the majority of the New Testament from the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Paul had doubts. The churches that Paul wrote to in the first century, they had doubts. Sometimes they doubted Paul. Sometimes they doubted the return of Christ. Sometimes they doubted the power of faith. Sometimes they doubted, how do I even live as a believer? But all of them in the midst of doubts turned to the evidence and the truth of God through his word, and they lived by faith in trusting God that God will be faithful to his word. Notice the evidence, though, isn't just for us. The evidence wasn't just for these two disciples, and now that we read this passage, it obviously wasn't just for John. Verse 22, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. We are to testify about the evidence. These two disciples weren't to keep the information to themselves, but they're to deliver it to John to relieve him of his doubts. And how does that apply to us today? Well, I have no doubt there's people in this room who probably are wrestling with doubts, a lack of faith, the midst of uncertainty in your mind. You no doubt have people in your life who are living that sort of lifestyle. They're wrestling They're going through a battle. They're living in doubts. Some of them are doubting the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God and the love of God. We're all going to go through trials in life. Jesus said it very clearly. You in this world, you will have trials. You will have tribulations. But then there's truth. But I've overcome the world. And we now belong to him. But this is why we need faithful believers in our lives so when we get into this moment of this battle of uncertainty and this lack of conviction, they can come and speak the evidence and the truth into our hearts and our lives. They can turn us to God. God has placed people in our life that are living with doubt so we can testify about the evidence of the goodness of God into their life. If you ever wonder what we're to speak, verse 22 gives us the answer. Because as we just mentioned, what Jesus does with verse 22 when he does all these healings, he's basically summing up the truth of Scripture of who he is. And so we speak the truth into people's lives. That's the only thing we have. I mean, we can say, you know, things will get better. It's going to be okay. We're praying for you. I'm here if you need someone to talk or just someone to listen. And that's fine. Those are all nice things to say. But the only real instrument we have to battle Satan is the Word of God is the truth. And so we speak truth. In doing so, we have to be aware of what Jesus says in verse 23. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, this statement we can know was originally directed to John because the blessed in the Greek is singular. 
But as Luke is writing about this story, being led by the Spirit to share this story that happened and this event that happened, he's also pointing it to the early believers to which this letter is originally intended, which means it's also for us. So we need to understand what is Jesus saying here. Well, that Greek word offended in verse 23 is a word in English that we get for scandalous. Blessed is the one who's not scandalized by me. The New International Version interprets this verse as, Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. The New Living Translation reads it as, Blessed is the one who does not fall away because of me. The Greek word comes from the idea of trapping a bird with a snare. It is implying causing trouble. And so what is Jesus telling us here in verse 23? Well, we know John is wrestling with doubts. He's wrestling with the identity of who Jesus is. John has just received the report of all that Jesus is doing, all that he is teaching, all that the miracles that are happening. And in the midst of John's doubts, he's in danger. And this is why Jesus says this. He understands. He knows John's heart. He knows he's in danger of stumbling away from the faith. He knows he's in danger of falling away from the truth of who Jesus is. Now, why would John get to that place? He had all those experiences. Well, this is the message that John proclaimed concerning Jesus. He proclaimed judgment, that Jesus would bring judgment, the Messiah would bring judgment. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 says concerning Jesus, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. That's judgment talk. Yet he hears the reports that people are getting healed in mercy and grace and love and acceptance. Jesus is inviting sinners to come and be with him. And John's like, that's not judgment. That's not what I prophesied concerning him. And so when Jesus says in verse 21 to, to testify that people are being bestowed with sight, the blind he bestowed with sight, that word bestowed carries the meaning of gifting. It's synonymous with the Greek word of grace. John's by thinking, I didn't preach he would show grace. I preached he would bring judgment upon the children of Israel. It would be fire. And John wasn't wrong, but perhaps he didn't even understand the message that he was preaching at the time. Jesus was bringing the judgment of God down upon the Jewish people. Because he was going to remove them as the only covenantal family of God. And to do this, Jesus had to take the full judgment of God on himself. The wrath of God on the cross to the point of death where he did die and then he rose again. Because Jesus did it, it is now by faith that we come before Christ and we get grafted in as the covenantal people of God. It's no longer by birthright. And judgment is in fact coming Jesus is going to speak of a final judgment when all people of all nations will come before him and they will be known that whether they belong to him or not. But in this moment, in his time in ministry, the mercy and the grace and the love, he's coming to reveal God, to make God known because God's people had got a huge misinterpretation of who God was. So he's proclaiming good news. He's proclaiming the gospel to anyone who needed to hear it. In short, here's what's happening with John. He's hearing of the reports, and Jesus wasn't living up to the expectations that he had on him. John had this preconceived notion 
on what Jesus should do and a preconceived notion on what Jesus should say, but none of that was happening. He had basically developed his own theology of the Messiah instead of looking to see who the Messiah truly was. I think we all can be in danger of doing this, of making God something of our ideas and our thoughts and our desires. There's preachers all across this nation and in this world who present a God, but it's not the one true God. And they develop their false God into a prop for their own agendas and their own gains. In Jesus' own day, the Jewish people had their own theories of what the Messiah should do. He should overthrow the Roman government and we should reign again like in the days of King David. Jesus was someone for their benefit, but it wasn't a spiritual benefit or eternal or a biblical benefit. It was a personal, worldly benefit. And so Jesus points out here in verse 23, there are going to be some people who are going to be offended by Jesus Christ. There are going to be people who are going to fall away from the faith and they're going to stumble because of his words. And this is apparent in our own day. As I hear of churches all across this nation stumble away from the word of God. I'm not saying we shouldn't love certain people that live certain lifestyles. But nowhere in God's word we find that God accepts those sort of lifestyles. God is not for homosexuality. God is not for transgender. God is not for abortions. And so people stumble away because we, want to, we don't want to hurt the culture's feelings. But we have to turn to the truth. World religions are offended by Christianity because Christianity declares Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Whereas world religions have all these things that they can do in order to work their way to heaven or certain levels of nirvana. Legalists. Legalists are individuals who have rules. You do this and you don't do that, and, and that's how you know if you're saved. They did offend him when they hear the words of God when he says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no one may boast. The word of God offends people who don't adhere to it. And this is what got John in prison. He was proclaiming the word of God to Herod and Herodias, and they put him in prison for it. But here's the thing. We are not to doubt the truth. And the same thing we have to realize, there are two ways people respond to the word of God. They rebel or they receive. That's it. There are only two ways people respond to the word of God. And Christianity is offensive to the world because this world is shrouded in lies and darkness while Christianity speaks light through truth. Jesus says this in John chapter 3, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Christianity, the church, and the word of God will offend people still living in this world, but you're saying it cannot offend us as a believer. The word of God is meant for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, this is a beatitude here in verse 23, and Jesus does it in a negative, but if we flip it into the positive, this is what he's saying. Blessed is the man who retains his faith in me and does not give up. There are hard sayings in the Word of God. There are hard commands that go against what this world believes, but God only gives us commands and instructions that are good for us and for our best. We aren't just to allow the Word of God to challenge us. Oh, that's really hard. Oh, that steps on my toes. 
The word of God is meant to transform us. It's meant to change us. We might be godly people. We might be holy as God is holy. John is going through these doubts. He's going through a trying time. And in his trials, when these doubts begin to emerge, he goes and seeks after Jesus. And what Jesus does for John, as he wants to do for us, is Jesus calls John back to truth. Because only truth can destroy our doubts. And so we live by the truth, and we speak the truth of God's word. And what Jesus says is it's going to cause a division in relationships. It's going to cause uncomfortable moments with family members. It's going to cause people to want to fall away and stumble. Well, don't go around Charlie. All he does is preach at you. It's going to cause people not to want to be around you. And Jesus is pointing this out here in verse 23. But it's also going to make people begin to change the Word of God to fit their own sinful nature. And so people begin to develop their own thoughts about the Word of God, just what John had done about Jesus, about what he should be. And so they take the Word of God and say, well, this is probably what it says. And so, you know, we know that God loves everybody. And that's true, isn't it? God loves everybody. For God so loved the world. That means everybody. It doesn't matter what sort of lifestyle they're living at this moment. God still loves them. But God's love... For everyone is not a permission slip to live outside of the will and word of God. Grace is an incredible gift given by God, but it's not a permission slip to continue to live like the world. It should change us. So John's here and he's facing this trial of doubt. Jesus sends the two disciples back to free him from that trial. And here's something maybe some of us need to hear this morning. This is why Jesus ultimately came. He ultimately came to free us from an upcoming trial known as the final judgment. The blessing of verse 23 comes down to this. What do you choose to do with Jesus? One day all nations and all people, everyone in this world, are going to be brought before Jesus and they're going to be put on trial. All nations and all people God divides all nations and all people into two categories, just two. You either know Christ or you don't. You either live for God or you did it your own way. Two groups, that's it. And in that moment, in that final trial, Jesus is going to separate those two. And the group that belonged to him, he's going to say, welcome home, my good and faithful servant. In the second group, he's going to say, away from me, you workers of wickedness. And in that moment, it'll be done. There'll be no more second chance. And if you're here this morning and you don't know which group you're in, you're uncertain, you're having doubts, that one presents you the gospel. God created you for a relationship with him. And it's your sin, not your doubts, your sin that is separating from that relationship. And you might try to do good things and try to be a good person, but that's not going to fix the problem. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. Jesus Christ came to this earth to live a perfect life according to the Word of God, according to the truth. And he did so he could die on the cross for your sins and rise again that you might be forgiven of your sins and given eternal life. And the Bible says, if you admit to God, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe Jesus Christ died for me and rose again because you love me. And I believe I need forgiveness from you through the work of Christ. And that's you here this morning. 
and you know you need to accept Jesus Christ because you've yet to do it, I'm going to ask you to come down here and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. Don't let Satan put doubts in your mind about coming down. Don't let him make you doubt, well, what will people think? It's not about what people think. It's about glorifying God and being in a right relationship with God and making sure when that final trial comes, you're on the right side. So if you know you need to accept Christ, I'm going to ask you to come down. And here's a promise I give you. There's not a person in this room that's not going to be excited for you. And the heavens will erupt in celebration. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and lead us in a song of invitation. We call it a song of invitation because it's a time of response. Jesus says we'd be wise if we don't just hear the words of God, but we do them. We live them. We apply them. We respond to what God has laid upon our hearts. Maybe you need to come and kneel before the Father because you're in a battle right now. And you've been allowing that battle to win instead of the word of God. I want to pray for us real quick. And I'm going to invite you to come. Father, thank you so much for your love, your grace, and your strength, not ours, but your strength that you give us. And your word says that nothing can separate us from your love. And if you are for us, then who can be against us? And so, Father, I don't know where everyone is in this room, but I praise, praise you that your word says you do. You know the trials and the struggles and the uncertainty some individuals are experiencing right now. And Father, you're calling us all back to truth, to step back into the light. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that knows they need to accept you and begin a relationship with you through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, I pray your spirit would grab a hold of their hearts, your spirit would push them to the front, and that their eternal destiny be changed today, that this would be the day of their salvation. Thank you so much for allowing us to be in your word. Thank you so much for allowing us to hear your voice. Thank you so much for allowing us to lift these songs up to you. And I pray as we sing this next song, it'll be in spirit and truth. Forgive me if I got in your way, Lord. Remove it from our minds if it was not from you. And praise on the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.